0: Good. Okay. Now, uh, right on the money, week two. If you had asked me, if you were to come up to me and ask me, uh, hey, John, you've been in ministry now for almost 20 years, right? You talk to a lot of people about our faith. If you asked me, what is the single most misunderstood aspect of the Christian faith today, I would have a lot of options, right? Um, if you asked me, what is the most misunderstood aspect of the Christian faith, I could easily point to, I think a lot of people misunderstand the nature of God. I think a lot of people in society think of God as being very exclusionary in nature. And I would argue he is radically inclusive and that they've got the nature of God wrong. Um, Let's see, I could point to um, the Holy Spirit. And the role and function of the Holy Spirit, I think that's misunderstood. I think, you know, we could talk about the the way that, or the job or the role that the Holy Spirit played in creation, the function of the Holy Spirit pre-Jesus, and then the role and application and function of the Holy Spirit in our lives today post-Jesus. Um, so that would be easy. I think um, other aspects of our faith that are misunderstood, I could clearly go to Revelation, right, just the whole book of the Bible and uh, talk about the whole end times thing and how that's going to go down and what God reveals to us about it in the book of Revelation, I think that's misunderstood. But if there was one thing that, like, on a really practical level, if you said, hey, man, after talking to so many people about the Christian faith, what do you think is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith? Like, in a day-to-day practical standpoint, I would answer this, financial giving for sure, I think that this is one of the the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith, bar none. I think that so many people, even Christians who have been going to church for a long, long time, understand Christian giving through the filter of the word should. And they think, I should give. They think, I should be generous. They think, I should be willing to share with others, And that others component is the other part of the lens that they see Christian giving through. They think, I should be generous for the well-being of others. I should share because there are other people who have less. I should be generous. I should live a life of generosity because even though it's bad for me, it is good for other people. This is the way that I think a lot of people think about the Christian value of giving. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to acknowledge or say this out loud. But just think for a second about yourself and your own perspective. When you think about the the calling of Christ to give and to live a life of generosity, do you think about it through the lens of should? Do you think I probably should give because it's good for others? If that's you, I'm so excited for today. Because if you think of Christian giving, if you think of this call to to be generous through the filter of I should for others, that's a problem. It's a problem partly because it kind of makes giving this like Debbie Downer thing, like oh man, I don't want to do this, but I probably should because it's good for them. And not only that, it's a problem because it's actually an unbiblical understanding of giving. Giving. And what I want to show you today is that whenever Jesus talked about money, and he talked about money a lot, he always did it in a way that made clear not only are other people blessed when we give, but anytime somebody gives, the giver is blessed. In fact, as I'm going to show you in the scriptures here in just a second, Jesus almost never encouraged anyone to give without tying it to the promise of blessing for the giver. And if that sounds like borderline heretical to you, just give me like 30 minutes, okay? Just sit tight and hang with me and see what we're going to see, okay? To understand the way that Jesus talked about giving, I think it's helpful to remember a little phrase that pastor and author Randy Alcorn calls the treasure principle. The treasure principle is made up of two parts. The first part is very simple. The first part of the treasure principle is simply the thought that you can't take it with you. Turn to your neighbor and say this phrase, hey, you can't take it with you. Go ahead right now. Turn to somebody and say, you can't take it with you. Yep, can't take it with you. Okay, for this for this idea that you can't take it with you, I think this is pretty intuitive. I think we understand this, right? I made the joke last week that you never see a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. Like, (laughs) just we all know you can't take it with you. I I had some great thoughts on this point. I had, like, a story that was really funny and some great illustrations. And then at the end of the day, I scrapped it all because I was like, I don't think I have to convince anybody that you can't take it with you. Like, we all get it. We all understand that everything we spend money on in this lifetime is either going to break, it's going to wear out, it's going to rot, or it will get left behind. So the first part of understanding this idea of giving and this idea of understanding what, what he calls the treasure principle is this idea that you can't take it with you. The second part of the treasure principle is where we'll really get into it. The second half of the treasure principle says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Go ahead, right now. Turn to the person next to you, say, (laughs) yep. Put the emphasis on the word can. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Yes, all right? We all understand that we can't take it with us, but then we make the mistake of thinking, well, since it's going to all get left here anyway, I might as well live it up and enjoy it now because it has no relevancy for when I'm gone. And when we do that, we actually hurt ourselves. We penalize ourselves by being far too nearsighted. Because when we do that, what we fail to recognize is what Jesus so frequently taught that there is a way to leverage our financial resources today that will benefit us for all of eternity. This is so central to the teaching of Jesus. There's so many passages I could show you in this that I was torn. I was like, well, if I show them one or two, people might write it off and think, well, that was just a, you know, isolated instance. John probably took that out of context. Pastors, (laughs) right but then i thought if i show them like 10 or 15 of these passages everybody's going to get bored and they're going to be like okay you don't have to preach at us so like strongly you know and they're going to leave so so here's what i want to do i want to just briefly show you four i landed on four i think that's the right number so maybe it was the holy spirit don't go one or two don't go 10 give them four so i want to show you four places that jesus made this perfectly clear that you can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead all right First one is in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, Jesus is teaching. This guy comes up to him and asks him a question about eternal life. He says, hey, give me the answer to eternal life. I want my, my afterlife to be as good as it possibly can. Jesus, how do I do that? This is what Jesus answered. Matthew 21, 19, he said, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus tied his eternity and the treasure waiting for him there to his giving here on earth. Luke 12, Jesus is encouraging people not to worry about money. If you ever start to worry about money, Luke 12 is a great place to go to hear the words of Jesus. He's teaching people not to worry about money. And his concluding statement in this passage is this, sell your belongings and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. We know everything we'd use money for here will wear out. But he goes, if you give to the poor, if you sell your belongings, give it away, you will provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now, I understand some of you are like, John, I don't want a purse in heaven. Like, I, you know, I'm a masculine man, and I don't want to carry a purse. So, so I was thinking, maybe the Greek got mistranslated into English here, and so I think the next time they translate the NIV, they're gonna say, um, you will provide yourself with a gym bag filled with treasure. That's, that's what I think maybe the next iteration will be. Maybe not, I don't know. But he says, listen, you can provide yourself Like, it's in your hands. The power's in your hands. You can provide yourself with treasure in heaven by giving it away now. Luke 14, Jesus gets invited to go to the dinner of a home of a wealthy Pharisee. During dinner, Jesus was not afraid of conflict, apparently, or those awkward moments at dinner parties. During dinner at this wealthy guy's home, this is what Jesus said. He said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends Don't invite your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and then you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, obviously, Jesus was not trying to say we should never invite our family or friends over for dinner. In fact, I think we should do that. What he was simply saying was when you do that, don't don't lie to yourself and act like you've done some great act of charity. You haven't. You've just been a good relative, a good friend, and they're going to pay you back by having you over and they're going to feed you as well. But he said, but when you do this, when you give, to people who cannot repay you, you will still be rewarded for that. But when you give to people who cannot repay you in this lifetime, that's when God steps in and he rewards you for it in eternity. One more passage, uh, maybe the most famous one. This is Matthew 6. This is during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says it so clearly. He says simply and directly, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, so many people are familiar with this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. So many people that I talk to are like, yeah, hey, I know that. I'm not supposed to store up treasures for myself. And then they leave it there. And when they do that, that leaves them with this like depressed spirit of like, well guess I can't have nice things, right? Don't store up treasures on earth. But just thinking about the first part, do not store up treasures on earth, that's, that's an incomplete thought. Like, that's, that's actually not what Jesus said. That's part of what Jesus said, but if you eliminate the second half of what Jesus said, you have an inaccurate statement. Notice what Jesus did not say in Matthew 6. He did not say, treasure is bad. He did not say, don't think about treasure. He didn't say, don't be motivated by treasure. He didn't say, it's a sinful thing to pursue treasure. He didn't say any of those things. Look at this quote from Pastor Alcorn about this passage. He writes, if you stopped reading, talking about this passage, if you stopped reading too soon, you would have thought Christ was against our storing up treasures for ourselves. No. He's all for it. He in fact, he commands it. Jesus has a treasure mentality. He wants us to store up treasures. He's just telling us to stop storing them in the wrong place and to start storing them in the right place. This is crazy, right? You're like, "Wow." I've never caught this before. But Jesus' teaching that we should give generously so that we can be rewarded in heaven was so clear. It was so perfectly understood by those first century followers that this became the mantra even of the later New Testament writers. When the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy and he said, hey, Timothy, I've got some instructions for you as you lead that church. This is what I want you to tell rich people. Look at what he says. He points right back to everything Jesus had taught. First First Timothy 6, he said, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and here it is, and be generous and willing to share. That means give it away, financial money, give it away. Be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. After spending his ministry studying Jesus' teaching on giving, the late, great A.W. Tozer said this, He said, as basic a thing as money is, it can be transformed into everlasting treasure. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. And not only did Jesus teach that we would be blessed in heaven, he actually also taught that there is a blessing here and now in this lifetime. So you don't even have to worry, like, well, I won't see any benefit on this side of eternity, but later on, maybe there will be. No, listen, Jesus, multiple times, pointed to the blessing now. In Acts 20, we read, remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, quote, we've heard this before, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Anytime someone gives something, anytime someone shows generosity, the receiver is blessed And according to Jesus, the giver gets blessed. But according to Jesus, the one who gets blessed the most is the one who does the giving. How different is that than what we think of? We think, okay, even if there is a little bit of benefit for me as the giver, the one who gets the best into this deal is obviously the receiver, right? It's the one that I'm giving it to. Like, it's Good to give, but it's better to receive. That's how we live. That's how we think about Christian giving. Jesus said, No, you've got it backwards. It's good to receive, but it's even better to be the one who gives. Again, not an isolated teaching from Jesus. In Luke, Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this He says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give, and Jesus promised God will give generously to you. This was a promise that Jesus repeated over and over and over again. And as we say so frequently around here, if somebody could promise their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, it's generally a safe bet to trust their other promises as well. This was a promise. So I want to encourage you to, to try this, to just see if what Jesus promised is true. Is there some benefit to giving? Like this is one of the hardest things to do. This is one of the hardest aspects of our faith to live out because everything in us and everything around us is, is screaming at us, hold on to it. Make sure you have enough. Say for a rainy day, what if this? What if that? What if what happens? What if down the road, you've got to enjoy it now. You've got to hold on to it. Everything teaches us not to give, but then you've got Jesus standing there going, come on, try it. Try me. See what happens. See if I won't bless you. See if there won't be a reward for this. And if any of this feels like, man, wait a second. Like, all of this, you know, you're moving kind of fast, John. Like, isn't this self centered? Like, all of this feels a little self centered. And isn't that a bad thing? The answer is no. It is never a bad thing to, to, to look forward to the blessings of God by living the way that he has called us to live. And what Jesus was teaching, which is so counter to how we tend to think, is that Jesus' teaching showed us that there is a way to handle money that is good for other people. There is a way to handle and deal with money that is good for us. And those two things, despite what we tend to think, are not mutually exclusive, now, there are times when we can handle money in a way that is good for me and not good for anybody else, but Jesus' point was that when you give money away, it is good for some other people and it is also good for you. And this is actually true, not just when it comes to our giving, this is true in every arena of life that God calls us to live counterculturally. but there is a benefit to doing so. He doesn't call us to live differently than the rest of society because he wants us to be miserable or because he wants us to suffer. Anytime you live counterculturally in the way that Jesus modeled for us to live, it will come with reward. And it is not a bad thing to look forward to the reward. It is a good thing. That's why God gave us the promise of the reward. It's the same thing that we do with our own kids. When When we want to bless our kids with the reward for living the way that we want them to live, Best example of this that I could think of was something that my parents did with me, and now Ashley and I are doing with our three kids. But we've sat our three kids down, and just like my parents did with me because this worked so well. And we've, we've sat our three kids down, and we've said, hey, listen, as you go through your teenage years, there's going to be a lot of peer pressure to do things like smoke and drink, right? We don't want you to do that. We don't want you as teenagers to smoke. We want you to drink alcohol. There may be a point down the road as an adult where you decide to do those things. That'll, that's a different story. But as a teenager, while it's illegal and not good for you, and there's a million other reasons why you shouldn't do it, we don't want you to do it to also incentivize you above and beyond the intrinsic benefits of not doing those things as teenagers, we're gonna set aside a little bit of money every year that goes by. And on your 19th birthday, when you leave our home and you're like no longer you know, under our roost, under our roof, right, we're gonna give you a certain amount of money for every year that you didn't do those things. But there's a catch, it's all or nothing. You either get nothing or you get all of it. This is the same thing. Okay, this, my parents did this with me. It was brilliant because there are times when, yes, I'm just living my life and I'm not really tempted to do those things and it's easy and I know the intrinsic rewards of not drinking underage and not, you know, I'm not risking getting arrested and like all of these things. But there are moments when the heat of it, you are tempted to give in and to just go with the flow. But in those moments, the promise of the external reward is enough to carry you through. It is not wrong for my kids to, in those moments, look forward to the promise of blessing for them to do what I have asked them to do. I want them to remember the promise of reward. I want it to motivate them. I want them to look expectantly and joyfully, and I want them to get to that birthday and to come to me and go, Dad, I lived the way you asked me to live, and I knew that you had promised me blessing if I did it, and I'm here for the reward, and it will be a joyous moment when we will celebrate and I will give them what I have hoped to give them and so it is not wrong to look forward to the reward It's part of what God is trying to do and it's so much bigger than the reward itself God is inviting us to be part of what he is doing in the world today We believe that it's our calling to help awaken our diverse community to Jesus. Our vision is that every single one of us would be doing something to advance the kingdom of God in our community and around the world. And the way that we do that is by feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and being a listening ear to people who need somebody to talk to, somebody's shoulder to cry on. We do that by creating an environment where people from all walks of life know that they are not just welcome, but they are invited, they are included, that there is a place for them where it doesn't matter who they are or what their background looks like, it doesn't matter how old they are, what their education level is, or their ability or disabilities that they come in here with, there is a place for them here, and God loves loves them. That kingdom advancement costs money, right? It costs money here, and it costs money everywhere that the kingdom of heaven is advancing. That's true in organizations and churches and nonprofits. That's true for missionaries and individuals. But here's the thing. God has already placed all of the money it takes to fund the kingdom advancement he wants to do into the hands of his church, And now he invites us to give generously knowing it is good for the other people. It is going to be good for them. It's not just I'm giving it away. I am investing in the lives and the eternities of other people. And it is also good for us both now and forevermore. It is a win, 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 win. And so when you think about giving through the lens of I probably should, it's bad for others, Or bad for me, but good for others. It's just a complete misunderstanding of what Jesus taught about money. He's like, this is good for you. I want something good for you. I want you to give for yourself. Like, how crazy does that sound? But he's like, I want you to put it in there going, this is good for me. I'm doing this for me. I'm signing up for the, because this this is for myself. This is what Jesus taught. So, if you wanted to start, If you're like, okay, I want to try it. I'll give it a shot. I want to see if it's good for me. Great. You start wherever you want. One of the, I I said, you know, I wanted this series to be practical. So before the series started, uh, several weeks ago, I got a group of people together, and I said, hey, what would be practical to talk about these things? This is what we're going to talk about week one. Week two, we're going to talk about giving. Week three, we're going to talk about, you know, how you spend really well. Like, you got to come for next week. I won't ask you to give next week. Next week, it's going to be all about how to spend really well, okay? Okay. and so so I said, what would be helpful when you think about giving? And a bunch of the people around the table said, hey, I know the concept of tithing, I have no idea, like, really the heart behind it or where it comes from or how we got it or if it's just something like the church fathers invented. And um, then they ask, you know, does it still apply to us today as followers of Jesus? I thought that's a great question. I'll try to answer that as briefly as I can. So let me take just a couple minutes and try to unpack for you the tithe. If you're brand new to church, maybe you've heard this phrase, like, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings, okay? First thing that you need to know is that the word tithe simply means one-tenth. So giving a tithe means you're either giving one-tenth of what you, what you have, what you possess, or one-tenth of your income in an ongoing way. So a tithe equals a tenth. Where does it come from? It comes from God. And we see it all the way back in the book of Genesis. First time we see anybody tithing, it was Abraham. We see Abraham tithe, then we see Jacob tithe, then God frees the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai, which is this, the set of rules to govern the nation of Israel as they establish this new country and this new, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, just new country of people. And so in the law, God calls for this explicitly from every single Israelite. It's recorded in Leviticus 2730 and verse 32, and this is what God says. This is God speaking his law for every Israelite. He said, a tithe of everything from the land. Whether it's grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And every tithe of the herd and the flock. So every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. This is the first time where we see God clearly calling for a tithe of everything, whether it's animals, whether it's, whether it's crops, whether it's grown, whether it's fruit, one-tenth of it needed to be given to God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the call for the Israelites to give one-tenth to him over and over and over again. In addition to the tithe, we see God calling on his people to give free will offerings above and beyond the tithe. Those aren't explicit. Those aren't like, hey, it's a set dollar amount or a set percentage. Those are just sporadic, whatever you feel in your heart, like in the moment. Like you should give gifts like that, but that is to be given above and beyond the tithe. 22 times in the Old Testament we read about these offerings that were asked for above a tithe which was required. We see promises of blessing for the nation of Israel when everybody kept the tithe, and then we see God kind of correcting them whenever they stopped giving tithe. He would reprimand them. Probably the most famous reprimand comes from the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. When Malachi says to the nation of Israel, or I'm sorry, God says to the nation of Israel through Malachi, he said, you'll ask, how are we robbing you, Lord? You're robbing me in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, all 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This call to tithe and the promise of blessing for doing it brings to the old brings the Old Testament to a close. We turn the page, and 400 years have gone by, and we're reading in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is on the scene, and the appropriate question we as followers of Jesus should ask is, is the requirement to tithe still applicable to us today as his followers? Well, interestingly, Jesus only mentions tithing one time. He does it in Matthew 23, 23, when he's criticizing some the religious leaders, and he's going through a whole laundry list of things that they get wrong. And he's like, you're doing this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong. And then he gets to 23, 23, and he says, one of the things that you're getting wrong is that you keep the tithe perfectly. You tithe all the way down to the smallest spices in your garden. You make sure that you give God one-tenth of the spices that you grow in your garden, But then he says that you you fail to keep the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus' answer is he then says what you should have been doing, what you should be doing, is both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You should have been tithing, but you should have also been paying attention and keeping the more weighty matters of the law, things like love, justice, mercy, faithfulness. So on one hand, does kind of seem like Jesus upheld the tithe. He said, he didn't say stop tithing and pay attention to these other more weighty matters. He said, no, it's both and. So on one hand, it does kind of seem like Jesus liked it. On the other hand, Jesus never mentions the tithe again. And Jesus seemed to hate legalism just as much as you and I did or do. So maybe it's not the blanket requirement that it once was. I think we probably should ask ourselves some other questions. And for me, one of the questions, this is just my story, my personal thoughts, I'll tell you one of the questions that I have wrestled with is god expected 10% from the nation of israel pre-jesus. Do i do i think on my own do i think that that god having now sent his son jesus to die on the cross To pay the penalty for all sin, for all mankind, to conquer sin and death once and for all. And then giving us the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So he's given us Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Do I now think that God would expect less? Or do I think that God might even expect more? I won't answer that for you. You don't have to answer either. But I'll just tell you, that's the question I've wrestled with. Do I think God would ask for less in light of what he has given us today? As followers of Jesus, or do I think that he has lowered the bar? What I will say is that throughout the New Testament, there is a very clear call to be generous and to give faithfully. For example, in 2 Corinthians, we read about the Apostle Paul inviting the Christians living in Corinth to give a financial gift. And when he does this, he elevates another group of Christians. He elevates the Christians living in Macedonia, and he, he kind of lifts them up as role models to be followed when it comes to the area of Christian giving. And when he does this, when he writes to the Corinthians, and he lifts up and he elevates the example of the, of the Macedonian Christians, look at what he writes about their giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able... And even beyond their ability, he lifts them up as models of giving because they gave not just what they could, they gave even beyond their ability. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to give beyond our ability? Does it mean they just put it on a credit card they knew they couldn't pay it off and someday they would just declare bankruptcy and it'd go away? No. It means they stretched themselves. It means that they looked at what they could give logically, and then they gave more. It means they said to themselves, I'm not going to be satisfied to give what my financial advisor thinks is wise for me to give. I'm going to give more than my ability to give, and I'm going to see what God will do with that. They did that 2,000 years ago, and they did exactly what so many of you have done around here. And for the last 14 years, I have gotten to watch so many of you give in this way, to give beyond your ability. And I have been the beneficiary of hearing your stories of what God has done as he showed up and blessed you in return. I was thinking about one family, one couple that had given this way, and I reached out to them this week, and I was like, can I just share some of what, what you have written to me about, about your giving story? And they were like, of course you can. Go for it. Read. Tell them what, what we've experienced, because we believe in it, and we think it'll be good for other people. And so this is what somebody wrote about their journey with generosity. They said, generosity has been such a huge part of our discipleship journey, Early in our faith, we were in a rough place financially, all from my own doing. I had made a lot of bad decisions with money, all in pursuit of obtaining an image that would match the career I wanted, chasing acceptance and significance from things that would ultimately prove unable to provide what I had leveraged everything for. In this early season of our faith, we read everything we could about what following Jesus meant, most often going straight to the words of Jesus found in the four Gospels, what we found was that Jesus talked a lot about giving. We thought if we really are trusting him for our eternity, maybe we should give trusting him a shot on this side of eternity too. So seeing how much Jesus had to say about giving, we decided to give it a try. Now, we didn't have enough money to pay our bills each month. Literally, we were dodging calls from collectors every month. So when we started giving, our mentality may not have been correct theologically or very noble, but it was more of a let's test God in this, and we figured, since we can't pay all of our bills this month anyway, let's just go ahead and give first and see what happens. What happened was amazing. In back-to-back weeks, we experienced car problems and our water heater going out. Both things we couldn't afford, but the craziest thing was that we were able to handle both of these expenses because of clear ways that God provided for us. First, we got a random cash gift from a family member with a note that said, I was just thinking of you guys, and it was within $20 of the car repair. Then I was invited to go to a golf scramble a few days later, and our foursome won the biggest prize, $500 for each person in the foursome. After paying for the water heater to be fixed, I had just enough money left over to buy a latte. We were blown away by what God was so clearly doing. And this is definitely God. If these guys won the foursome, because I've played golf with him, he's not a good golfer. (laughs) So we decided to keep giving. And each month after that, we kept increasing our giving until we were giving more than 10% of our income to church. And before we knew it, a couple of years had passed, and in what I can only call kingdom math, we've paid off all of our debt during those three years, all the while our income went down each year and our giving had gone up. Over the past 15 years, we've continued to learn that our heart's position around money and generosity impacts so clearly the other areas of our life, and we are excited to keep growing in trust and our dependence on God. And what they have called kingdom math is the exact same thing so many of you have experienced around here. Last week, I encouraged you to track your expenses for the next couple of months. Today, I want to encourage you to try giving for the next couple of months. If you started giving this week, And you gave all the way up to Easter. That would be eight weeks. That would be two months. How cool would that be to start praying for the next eight weeks? God, I'm going to give faithfully to you between now and Easter. And Lord, between now and Easter, would you do something in my life? Lord, would, would this Easter be different for me? Would it not just be a holiday that I just go through the motions and I come to church and we wear our pastels and we take a picture and we post it on Facebook? But God, would you do something in my life? And what if between now and then you put your money where your mouth is? Because like we talked about a few weeks ago, it is our actions, not our intentions that lead to change. If you want to see a change in your life, if you want to see a change in your faith, what if you actually put this into motion and not only did you track your expenses, but you also took the step to give, to see what God would do? Because I have no doubt he will work in ways that you You can't even imagine this side of giving. That is Christian giving that is right on the money. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these promises that you give us in your word. To hear promises straight from Jesus, Lord, we know that we can trust you. We know that these are true. And so, Lord, would you give us faith? Lord, would you give us courage and to live counterculturally, to go against the flow, to not just do what makes logical stint sense, but to even give beyond our ability to give. Lord, not just because we know it's good for other people, but because we know it is good for us. And Lord, would we see the The impact of that, would you give us eyes to see both how you leverage it for eternity in the lives of other people, and would you give us eyes to see how you're working and blessing us here and now? Lord, ultimately, we pray that our giving, along with every other aspect of our life, would simply advance your kingdom in our community, that more people would be awakened to your son, and that they would get to live life in the kingdom of heaven as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody who agreed said, amen.